Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Folly or Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues, not over-edited interviews with amazing people who are making our world a different place. On this episode, an entrepreneur and a modern-day advertising madman, Dan Granger, founder of Oxford Road. We're sponsored by our good friends at Oracle NetSuite. If you want to turbocharge the growth of your business, Oracle NetSuite is here to help you. Check out netsuite.com slash different for a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry at netsuite.com slash different. I also want to tell you about my friends at Bottleneck. Are you feeling a little overwhelmed? Maybe it's time to check out the power of a virtual assistant. And that's where my friends at Bottleneck come in. Check out bottleneck.online today. That's bottleneck.online. All right. Well, digital marketing has never been hotter. This thing people call performance marketing has never been hotter. And of course, podcasting is on fire. And Dan Granger is the founder and pioneer in digital performance advertising with a focus on podcasting. If you've ever heard a ZipRecruiter ad on a podcast, you can thank Dan. Um, He's done an incredible job of being early in uh, new digital areas that produce meaningful results, both from a performance and a branding perspective um, for marketers. And we have a powerful conversation about what's going on in this area. I also want you to know that I met Dan because his firm, Oxford Road, um, does a lot of buying in the podcast space, and they do buy ads on this podcast. So you should know we do have a financial relationship. That said, I think you're going to love Dan. Um, this is a very unique conversation and an opportunity to go deep with a thoughtful, inspiring pioneer. And like a lot of conversations, they happen on two dimensions. One is the content of what we're talking about, which is what's going on with digital and podcast advertising and marketing. And the other is you're going to hear from an entrepreneur who decided to um, get, get early in something new and has become not just an entrepreneur, but a category designer and pioneer as well. Go to Lockhead.com to check out the show notes for this episode. And now, hey ho, let's go. I started getting into podcast, just kind of thinking that there was going to be a revolution afoot, probably around 2006 is when I started paying attention. And I I started dabbling in some ventures that I thought could um, leverage the the excitement and the opportunity um, and also maybe pay some bills, um, probably for about five years. And then you know, in 2012 ish is when we really started putting advertisers on podcasts. And, you know, I had a 10 year background in radio, but what was interesting is we got to ride two simultaneous waves that were really, really influential in the marketplace, both in media and, and general business, which was, um, the direct brand revolution at the exact same time as the podcast revolution. So we started the business officially in 2013 and you know we had been able to incubate for some time so it wasn't like we really had a cold start but you know we started working with these companies that nobody ever heard of like zip recruiter and blue apron and hulu and you know i was the agency a record for hulu 
before I had an agency. I literally had a contract and, you know, really nothing behind it. I was still employed by Clear Channel at the time uh, when we started working together. And, um, and that was really why I had to make the jump. But, but in doing that, you know, we got to watch all these brands that were just these, you know, rugged startups become household names at the same time that it went from like Leo Laporte, Adam Carolla, and a bunch of people you never heard of to, you know, podcast being what it is today. And this is pre-serial, pre-everything else. So it was really fascinating to see kind of this, this opportunity, like this, this vacant land, and then to see this, this city sprout up on top of it. But both of these two forces working together has been quite a ride. I can only imagine. I mean, I, I know what it's been like for me and it's been uh, uh, nowhere near the same amount of time. And I also, I got to think there's certain companies you mentioned, you know, ZipRecruiter and Blue Apron. Um, are they responsible for 50% of the ad buys on uh, podcasts? It's a moving target, but I would say, you know, Zip is still at it and still in the number one position. I think Blue Apron has changed quite a bit uh, in recent times. And, you know, I think um, a lot of them, they, they go up and, and they come down or they go up and then they, they find a place that they level off. Um, but you know, it's really interesting because it's like you work with a startup that's, that's pure performance. And then a year later, they got a, a brand person sitting in the room. And a year later, they're talking about, you know, their customer segmentation studies that they're running. And the whole thing just evolves before your eyes. And it's a different company. And so sometimes that, you know, downstream uh, impacts the, the way that they approach a channel like podcast and how so big a part saying, of their interrupted in, But are you saying that you really see startups building their businesses uh, on, uh, off of podcasting? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, it's interesting when you, when you look historically at any time there's a new media channel, you know, when cable came out and, and anytime something happens, you get these direct response marketers in there, right? But direct response used to mean something else. And it used to be, you know, Ron Popeil, it used to be gold, it used to be tax debt or bankruptcy attorneys. You know, there's all this like fringe stuff that was kind of these gray area businesses. But when podcasts have these businesses that would be in like a Tarantino movie or something. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so what happened, what's different about podcasts is that, you know, this was kind of... Uh, it was all early adopters that were at the cutting edge of technology. And so it was really geeks and gamers and comedians that, that were the first wave of content. And in doing that, they had a resonance with people, uh, with products and with brands that number one, appreciated the fact that something innovative was happening technologically. But in addition to that, you had, um, these, these products, these audiences that were willing to try something that was entirely different because they were self-selectors as being willing to try something disruptive. And so I'm listening to audio in a way that it's never been consumed before. I'm going to be way more interested in trying this thing. You know, it was a big deal that they were shipping razors to your house. You know, we got to do the first test with Dollar Shave Club, for example. And I saw Michael Dubin when he had like two or three people with him, he was in this incubating in science. He had launched a video and now I had to build a business around it. And it was like, <laughs> podcast was a big deal. Yeah. You know, and it was, that was a revolution. They were a giant effort. advertiser for a long time, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, in the, in the, the way that we're talking about, 
it changes as you go from, I'm really scared to spend this first 10 grand to, I, I just got sold for a billion dollars. It's a very different um, culture and very different priorities. But yeah, absolutely. A lot of these brands, I think, got their, got their first big growth spurt on the back of the podcast industry and the efficiency of buying it before it started becoming popular with the mainstream. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, so I agree with all of that. And I think we've seen companies and you've just mentioned a bunch who really differentiated themselves quickly via podcasting. And I think that's very cool. However, the amount of growth we see and and just the actual dollar amount of podcast advertising is, is to me, it looks tiny compared to the popularity of podcasting, but I'm, I'm curious as to your perspective on what, what was the number last year? Do you have it off the top of your head by chance? Dan? Oh, I mean, 460. And it was, it, I think they pegged it between four and 500 million. And, and look, yeah, take so a grain of salt because he's half a billion at best. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, that's probably in the zone. And I would say, you know, I talking to people about this, you think about something like, um, you know, Roku, right. Which you can advertise on. Um, whose revenue is far greater than podcast. I mean, and how much buzz is there about Roku? Who's talking about that? Whereas podcast, all anybody wants to talk about is podcast. So there is a hype mechanism that is inherent in the the ecosystem here that makes it seem a lot larger than it is. But I think, you know, a big part of the difference is the way that, um, the very nature of the program is that it's, it's these episodes that, that are not cluttered with, you know, 12, 14 minutes of advertising per hour. You know, you might see 18 minutes of, of ads in an hour on a radio station. You're not putting 18 minutes of ads on your podcast. And so, yeah, it's just, it's not, not there yet for revenue. What would be, um, what would be typical of a podcast with advertising that's say, say an hour uh, yeah. How many minutes do you think sort of, and I know it's a, probably a guesstimate, but how, how much would the average be? Yeah, I would say probably three or four these days. I mean, look, it's going up and you're right. starting to see all this evolution with Art19 and uh, Megaphone and you're starting to see dollars come in and it's, it's all about dynamic insertion. And what does every marketer want? They want control they want to limit the variables. They want reliable impression numbers. And that's what's kept a lot of the bigger brands at bay. But now that you're starting to see dynamic insertion, what, what they're not necessarily telling you is that, yes, this is a technological advancement in many ways, but let's look at the reality of it. That means we're going to have more commercials and there's going to be a lot more pressure. When you see a company get sold to Spotify for over $200 million, well, at some point they're going to figure out, Hey, you know what? I'll bet we could get closer to justifying this investment. If we just run a few more ads per hour, you know, let's see when people really start to drop off and they're going to keep pumping those things through. So, so my prediction is that in the not too distant future, we're going to see, um, advertising loads change tremendously Hmm. and you may have to stick around till after the break and you may do a live read leading into that, but then you're going to run four or five ads afterwards that are just pre-recorded back to back. And and that's when things start to change. And so, you know, the radio business and the podcast business are really starting to come together and become one. Hmm. And I know what my gut reaction is, but I, I want to hear what yours is. Do you think that's a good thing? 
I think it's a bad, uh, a good and a bad thing. I think that, that, you know, this is, this is the wheel of progress. And I think that that carries, um, probably as many threats as it does opportunities. I think you can't fight it. I think that there's going to be certain individuals that stay independent, you know, the Joe Rogans, the Tim Ferris's, um, and, and probably a lot of people like yourself that are really just, you know, purists and committed to the, the craft and love the fact that it's not radio. It's got this pirate radio vibe about it. And I think that there's always going to be a constituency fighting for that, but follow the money. Look where the money's coming from. There was just another acquisition today where MS is now in, investing in something. iHeart scooping up companies. Westwood One is scooping up companies. Pandora, Spotify, Pandora is satellite radio now, is now Sirius XM. Look at what the money's doing. And it's just going to keep getting corporate at the top. So, I mean, such is life. Yeah. And, and Sorry. No, no, I, I think... I think they have to be very smart about um, what they do here, the big boys and girls, yeah. because um, here's what I think a lot of them do. And you, you educate me because you know way more than I do. I think a lot of them do radio on a podcast. And I think they, they miss a giant opportunity because uh, podcasting, I think is very different than radio. Um, I think you can have a much more intimate experience in a podcast. And I also think because there's no time constraint and there's no, we can swear our fucking heads off, you know, we can, right, right. can do pretty much anything we want to do within the constraints of uh, human decency laws. <laughs> and even then I don't know some yeah, yeah, yeah. when they break those. And so I just think that radio shows on the internet are not podcasts. And I think a lot of them are going to make that mistake. Um, oh, that no doubt. Well, listen, it's funny. If you if you read a lot of the radio newsletters, I mean, it's kind of sad because a lot of times it reads like an obituary. But then the other thing is like, you'll see as many podcast stories in a radio newsletter as you will in a podcast newsletter because they're going to wear it out. They're going to, it is going to go out of style because it's so popular. And people said, oh, there's money there. And so they're going to keep, you know, moving in and they're going to, and listen, I think it's both. I think, you know, I was doing a presentation at the, um, at the IAB direct brand summit last year about the, the history of podcasts and the evolution of, it and what comes next. And I showed a picture of, um, Anna Nicole Smith when she had that husband who was like, you know, 90 something years old billionaire. And the it two of them are together. photo, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it depends on your perspective. It depends on who you are in that picture, maybe, but, um, but the point is, I think I see that very much as the relationship between podcast and radio, like the old money and the new cool thing are coming together and, and they're going to actually become more like each other. And I think that radio does acknowledge, I think they said, look, we've been focused on a lot of other things. You know, when I was in radio, I got out first and foremost, because I felt that the industry was moving too slow. But if you, if you appreciate the economic situation that they were in post all of the radio consolidation, they had a lot of debt they had to deal with. And podcast was very small. So they didn't pay attention. And I was this, you know, foot soldier in the wilderness going, guys, podcast is going to be, it's going to change everything. Here I am, you know, and I'm pitching this CEO and, and everybody and, and they're all going, yeah, kid, that's cute. We'll, we'll talk to you when there's money there. And, um, 
And, and what happens is eventually they said, Hey, hang on a second. This is real. And we need to respect it. We need to appreciate it. And we need to learn from them. And I do see a real humility coming from the big players. And so even though part of it is going, Hey, we do podcasts now too. We're just like your friends. And it's like, you know, and so there's a part of it that feels like seeing your parents on Facebook, but there's also a part of it where it's like, I really do think that they are trying and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we capture what makes podcasts special and how do we make our content more like that? But at the same time, they're going to commercialize it at the same time because, uh, you know, that's just, just the way of the world. So I, I think that radio is going to get more advanced and start to reflect some of the experimental things that have worked in podcasts. And I think that, um, that podcast is going to get more corporate as we go. Um, and it just has to work that way. But, but at the same time, I also look at it like, I also think there's nothing new under the sun. I also think that, you know, in the fifties, you could listen to comedy records that they were never going to play on the radio. And, you know, and so the podcasters are more like Lenny Bruce times a million, right. And all these different shades and flavors. But at the same time, it's like, it's the same old thing that records were what VHS was what it's content on demand and you have less restrictions than what comes through the, the airwaves. And I wouldn't be so sure that they're not going to start imposing those restrictions that we're used to, you know, where the FCC has to approve something before it goes live. I wouldn't be surprised if that type of um, accountability starts to come into these platforms that everybody's relying on to get access to these podcasts either. So I know there's a pirate radio thing that we all want to protect and preserve. I also know that um, there's there's a movement to make it more corporate, build more infrastructure, and have more control. And I think that those two things are just going to start figuring out how to live together. Well, well what about freedom of speech? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about that? I, I think that, you know, we all, we all have freedom of speech, but what does that actually mean? I mean, you look at podcast, it was interesting because I started seeing podcasts get protested this year, um, in ways that I really haven't seen in the past. So, um, you know, listen, and this is, this is, I don't take a political position on this. I, I try to come at it as an analyst looking in at the business and, and, to, to advise people with, because I work with all these brands that are, you know, 90 plus percent, you know, way in on the left in terms of their, uh, thinking. And then I, and then you look at the content that, that moves the most product and especially in radio far right. Right. And so, so you get these performance marketers that are like, how, do, how can we just make NPR work? And then you get these, but then they go, well, I guess I'll hold my nose and I'll get on Ben Shapiro and they go on Ben Shapiro. And then all of a sudden something happens and now they're getting, they're getting boycotted. And so technically, he <laughs> so they're selling product. a ton of product, but they're getting boycotted at the same time. Well, the boycotts are, are, are garbage in my personal opinion, because they're generally run by groups that are using professionals to stage the boycott and, and show outrage. It's not actually customer driven and it usually dies with the first news cycle, but you know, you'll get somebody like media matters and they email and everybody and they, and they go, okay, we're going to, we're going to start reaching out to these people and they have pretty templated messages um, but it blows over pretty fast and it doesn't actually have economic impact on the brands. I know we're off in another territory right now. That's okay. Uh, we, can, <laughs> we can chase any rabbit down any zebra <laughs> hole you want. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is, uh, I don't know that I'd say I'm a regular Ben Shapiro listener, but I listen 
regularly from time to time, if that means okay. that makes sure. any sense. Sure. Um, and cause I think he's one of the guys on the right that's worth listening to. And I try to listen to people on the right. I try to listen to people on the left. I try to listen to people all over the spectrum to, you know, because I think we all need to do some thinking, right? I'm not yeah. on a team. I'm on team. Let's talk about it and think about it. Um, you, you, are, you and I are on the same team in that way. <laughs> And look, yeah. I have some very left opinions. I have some very right opinions. I have libertarian opinions and I have opinions that people think are fucking socialists. So I don't know. I, would you tell me what yeah, I have? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I, I, so I, I have a sense of Shapiro. Look, do I agree with everything he says? No. Do I, can he be inflammatory on certain things? Sure. Is he a little sensational from time to time? I don't, maybe. But you know what? He's actually pretty smart. He's worth considering. You don't, this is the other thing I don't understand. I, something I love about podcasting. Um, I don't agree with everybody who comes on my fucking podcast. Mm-hmm. I do think they're an interesting person. I do think they're somebody who's worthy of engaging with, who has, a, has an interesting mind, a, a fun place to hang out. It doesn't yeah. mean, and, and I generally like them, you know, yeah. but I don't yeah. necessarily agree with every fucking position they have on everything or whatever. I, I don't know why that even became a thing. It's a healthy view, and I don't think it's new what's going on. I think you saw it. You used to see it more uh, from the right, you know, if you go way back um, when they were doing blacklists in Hollywood. But now today, what happens is the machinery is kind of set up to blast the right. If they step in it, they do something. You know, Laura Ingram had a graphic up on Fox News a couple weeks ago. And what I didn't like about what was happening is she had a graphic talking about prominent conservative voices. And there was like some, like there was somebody on there that was super racist and had gotten kicked off of one of the platforms. Well, you know that she didn't actually probably look at this thing. I don't actually know firsthand. So let me be clear about that. It was probably some intern or assistant that screwed up and didn't vet the graphic. And then the advertisers start getting calls and they're going, Oh, if then, if you support this program by putting your ads in the break, uh, then you must be a bigot and you must believe these things or else, you know, why would you be there? But what happens is they start putting pressure on these brands and the, a lot of the brands, they, they scatter. And so, yes, yes, I don't think that this is coming from the government right now. And I think that, look, I do think regulation is going to be a much bigger thing as we keep going forward. I think I'm starting to see some stuff, you know, Facebook's getting heat, YouTube's getting heat. You know, there's, there's got, you know, like as a parent, you have to think, all right, do we really want to give everybody access to everything? And so I think there's probably something healthy that's happening. Um, but, but what I'm talking about is in the immediate sense, there, there are accountability measures that aren't necessarily based on good principles. And I, and I very much, yeah. You know, like if you take Alex Jones as an example, yeah. I think everything he said about Sandy Hook and about a lot of other ones, but that was the big flashpoint. And I didn't right. follow him, so I don't know what all, all he said about whatever. I, right. I, I think these conspiracy theory guys are sort of entertaining. So, right. you know, anyway, whatever. The Sandy Hook thing was clearly horrible. However, yeah. I don't think he should be deplatformed off of Apple or Twitter for it. I think he yeah. should do it into the oblivion for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what, and my fear is, okay, so um, they, they say, okay, we're going to deplatform anybody who engages in hate speech. Okay, that yeah. that maybe sounds fine. Okay, well, who decides what the fuck hate speech is? Right. 
Right. And There's so, problem, listen, right? yeah. Yeah. And look, if, if, if somebody came to me and they said, Hey, you think I should make these statements? I probably say, I don't think those are going to get you what you actually want when you make those statements. But yeah, I'd like for people to have the ability to make those statements and let audiences decide what they want to uh, feed their brains as long as they're of an age where they can make those kind of decisions on their own. And so do you so, think we're really yeah. going to get regulation in podcasting that will curtail podcast yeah. ability to have whatever conversation they want to have? Eventually, eventually. And it, look, it may not come from, it may not require passing a law, but you start looking at, you know, when you've got, when you've, when you've got anti trust issues going on with these platforms, these, these play, you know, you start getting this kind of scrutiny and you start seeing different changes happening that may not correlate. You know, why was there a blacklist in Hollywood in the, in the forties? You know, why did that happen? You know, what they don't necessarily talk about is, you know, they got every studio head in a room in New York city and did this uh, Waldorf statement. And basically they were under, uh, they were being investigated for, uh, antitrust regulation at the time. So they started capitulating on all these other things that comes down to, okay, now we're doing guilt by association. Now we're doing witch hunts. Now we're trying to silence people who don't reflect views that are in vogue right now. And, and that's really problematic. And so it may not be like a clear cause and effect where it's obvious to all of us, but yeah, I think there's going to be pressure and I think some of that is really, really negative, but I do think some of it is positive because, you know, just as a dad, and I'm completely speaking from that perspective, I'm like, I don't like the stuff that my kids are able to see or that one of their friends can show them with fewer barriers to entry that don't actually, you know, who knows at some point, maybe it'll all be retina scans and, you know, they'll be able to say, but you're not that, old enough. Isn't to see. that a different problem though? I mean, it's not the, the existence of the content. It's the availability of the content without parental control. And to me, that's a different problem than well, content shouldn't exist. In, in theory, I completely agree with you, but you know, how do you practice that? It's going to come down to platforms getting pressure from, you know, groups saying, Hey, you've got to restrict this access. And then next thing you know, you've lost all your platforms. You lose your voice at that point. The harder people have to work to find your content. The problem to me on all this stuff is who decides. I have one bar for what's offensive. You have a different bar. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think generally, like what you said earlier, I think is a thing that I'm personally um, making a uh, a mission out of promoting. And, and look, I'm biased because it advances my business interests. So like disclosing that up front, but at the same time, it's well, you like sell podcast ads. <laughs> I do, but you know, like I was on an NPR show last week. I was on a conservative talk show on satellite radio. And my point is the same to either one, which is like, guys, we got to talk to each other. Of we got to stop doing this if then stuff and going, because you got near this or because you said that, then that also means you know, because of X, that means Y, and that means you are Z if you don't do what I tell you. And, and, and it's really manipulative, and I don't think it's new, but I think there's a new uh, uh, context for it. There's a new approach to it, and I think it's really unhealthy. So the way you were describing it earlier, I wish that's what people in media would adopt. I wish that Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow would go on each other's shows and talk about it. I wish that people would. They should. And the fact yeah. that they don't shows to me, they've got no balls. I remember when. Yeah, um, it really makes when, me when sad. When Bernie Sanders went on um, 
uh, one on Fox during the, uh, the last, the last go around. Uh-huh. And, you know, a bunch of people on the left lost their minds. It's like, well, let's go talk to them. They're human beings. They love their kids the same way we love our kids. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what ism is it is, but it's, it's, it's the equivalent of racism or sexism that you hate people who aren't of the same fucking political opinion. Well, It's isolationist at least. Right. And, and I think here's the problem with it. The people that are doing this, the people that take that approach, they believe in a set of values and principles. They have, they have an approach that they're like, okay, this is how I'm going to get what I believe in advanced. They're trying to push a cause. Right. But what's the irony of it is I believe that they actually limit their influence by not reaching out. You can't actually, when you're just preaching to the choir all the time, you're not going to convert anybody. And so it's like, the fact that they don't actually build relationships, people change when they feel trust, they feel safe, they feel like you're actually not out to get them. That's when they're going to listen to what you have to say. They're not going to listen when you're pointing at them from across the street going, look at how bad those people and are. The other thing is, I don't know, look, and sometimes I want to yell too. So I'm not the, I'm very far from a perfect person. But, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, um, if you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you have one? Yeah. And, if you think about yourself, I think about myself, there are certain opinions that you held 10 years ago or 20 years ago that you don't hold anymore. There's some opinions that I held that I've done a 180 on. Right. And so, you know, we grow and we learn and we talk to people and and we quote unquote evolve. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think it's right. And I think, look, it comes down to judgment and, and they, they probably want the right things at their core, but the way they're going about getting them and the judgment that occurs of people that are different, it just thwarts their ability to actually be effective. And so I, I'm with you. I, I, and it's something that I, you know, I'm writing about, I'm talking about everywhere I can. It's like, we're divided enough right now. And, you know, brands are just getting caught in the crossfire and they're, they're pawns in a, in a game that's just a losing proposition for everybody. And so I really encourage them, like, we need to say to each other, like, look, we disagree with what you say, but we will sponsor your right to say it. And just because I'm trying to connect with your audience about my brand's values doesn't mean that I co-sign everything that you think. So stop trying to put me in that box. Every person I retweet, I don't agree with everything they ever said or did. I mean, right. if, if being on Ben Shapiro for Kellogg's helps sell cereal, then fucking A, sell, it doesn't mean they agree Bingo. with every position he yeah. takes. When did that yeah. become a thing? What yeah. are you nuts? Yeah. Now, I'm also, I'm dying to ask you, so in this environment, I have my own opinion, but your opinion on it, I think, is worth way more than mine, which is, um, what's the future of the independent podcast? I, I think there's always going to be a market for it. I think it's going to, you know, I think it's going to be hard. I think it's the same thing with anything. I mean, look at just like talent, look at, you know, anytime you have representation coming into the mix, you're going to get holdouts, you know, you're going to get, you look at Hollywood, they're going to end up mostly at, at, at WMA, WME or whatever it is today, or CAA or UTA, you know, there's going to be a short list where 80 to 90% of everybody goes. And there's going to be somebody that says, I trust this person. I'm going to work with them forever. It's my uncle. Right. And so there's going to be some holdouts, but if you're going to, if you're going to be big time, most people are not going to be able to be, 
you know, self-promoters. And as long as America is America, I always think there's an opportunity to stay independent. But talk to anybody that's been independent in any form of entertainment, it's not the easiest road to hoe. That's interesting. Uh, the thing I wonder about it that makes podcasting different is the niche opportunity. In other words, in the, in the television business, even today, there's a lot of niche thing uh, that, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, you know, my buddy, Joe Sanek, by way of example, okay. he is a category King. He's got a podcast called the practice of the practice. And it's a business show for people who have counseling practices, wow. therapists of one sort or another. And he is what my buddy, um, Matt Johnson, also a podcaster calls being micro famous in a, in a very tight niche. Mm-hmm. Joe Sanic is the mayor, right? Right, right, right. And, and you would, he would never have a radio show. He wouldn't be on serious. He wouldn't, there'd be no, there'd be no TV show. Right. Yeah. But because niches can scale as a result of, um, just the simple dynamics of the internet, uh, and then the compelling nature of podcasting as a, as a mechanism or as a medium, Joe has a thriving career and he does a lot of good in the world. And if you're in his, you know, if you care about that stuff, if you're in that world, then you love the guy. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I think that the, the internet in the world we live in today has redefined what local means. Okay. So, so I think that you used to have these communities that were based purely on geography, right? So, so if you're a counselor, you're going to be the best counselor in your, your geo, um, but but now that you've got talk space and you can actually connect with a therapist anywhere in the world via FaceTime, that your access has exploded, right? So there's an elevated opportunity to be more narrow and yet more wide at the same time. And so I do think that that has fundamentally changed. I can't imagine that that changes dramatically, but I think there's always going to be like a KISS FM and there's always going to be a CBS and NBC and ABC, right? And so I don't think you get, I don't, I think there's going to be the Ryan Seacrest and then there's going to be the, the person who's the king of a, a much smaller territory. Um, and so, so it's changed entirely and yet it's changed not at all, I think. But you think there'll be less you know, Mark Marins or Jordan Harbinger. I, I think that's a good, yeah, that's a good way to more, say it. More yeah. fresh airs and Freakonomics and cereals and, and, and. Listen, I think that Mark Marin's a great example. You know, um, the, the dude, I was selling on a local radio station when it was KTLK in Los Angeles, when he was a radio host and nobody was listening. And then he had to go to his garage and do his podcast. You know, Ben Shapiro almost launched a network with him probably six or seven years ago, maybe, maybe seven or eight years ago. I saw him on C-SPAN pushing a book. I'm like, who is this kid? This kid's going to be successful. And I found out he's in the Valley. So I hit him up and we got together. We went to iHeart Clear Channel where I was and we said, hey, we think we should do a network here. We think we should syndicate this stuff and do podcasts. And they're like, nobody's going to listen to that. (laughs) Which now that I, you know, I still do business with all these people. So I get to give 
grief about you, you it. But show up every time and just go neener non or neener non. Yeah, 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 whatever. I mean, it, they, look, they're great people, and I think that they 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 caught up. They're catching up. But the point is, who's Shapiro represented by? You know, that's the Daily Wire, and then affiliated with Westwood One. What's Mark Marin doing? Right. So he he's mid roll, uh, which is scripts, and you know, it's is he really still the garage guy that he was? Not necessarily, you know, he started getting movie deals and speaking deals and whatever he wants to do now. He's, he's more like what I think he was trying to do before and not able to do it in the original infrastructure. So I think that when so you, you look at, he's not an independent podcaster anymore. He's, he's kind of corporate now. More so. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Absolutely. There is a professional organization representing his interests now. And so, yeah, they did that to get off the ground, but Marin's a perfect example. It changes. And so you've got to be so diehard, you know, not everybody's going to be Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss where they're like, I'm just going to be, you know, uh, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to be independent till I die. Like things change and things evolve. And when the money starts going, Hey, you know, maybe you don't want to be dealing with all this minutia. We can take that off your hands for you. It's, it's gravity. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause I, yeah. I, uh, I cringe at the notion for myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but to, there's probably look, I don't know, but there, there may be a no, check I get it. I, I get that, it. You would, that you would say yes to, and, and, and you'd still be able to maintain the parts that were important enough that you'd probably feel, feel okay about it. And most of your listeners would too. Interesting. So where Even do you know they'll call you a sellout for a while? <laughs> well, I've always been a poser, so, you know, that <laughs> unpredictable. Um, and where do you see podcast advertising over the next, I don't know, couple of years, probably five years, maybe too far out, but what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to see more big brands get in or where, where does this go? Yeah. yeah. The, the big brands are already coming in and you know, when they standardize measurement, they're getting closer, but you know, what's an impression, what's a download, like these things are still pretty murky and everybody's making up their own rules. And I think that the brands are kind of like, we don't care. Podcast is so cool. We're just going in anyway. But when they actually establish that, that's when things really start to shift. And you see, I think you're going to start seeing bigger brands put it, pushing out the, the, you know, scrappy performance marketers and the performance marketers see, they loved it because they got to have their cake and eat it too. They could be on like shows that they wanted to listen to. And whereas when they were on radio, they're like, I don't want to be on Rush Limbaugh and support that. Well, guess what? They're going to be on that kind of podcast. Let me tell you, they're going to run out of options um, because they're going to get pushed to the side. It's going to be like AM, FM radio for performance marketers. So I think that's going to change. I think you're going to see ad loads change. And I think it's going to be less about the whole ecosystem being based on, I'm doing a four minute live read for this commercial and it's all about the tribe. And it's going to be like, here's one commercial that I'm going to read to you for 60 seconds, not 61 seconds. And then we're going to take a little break and hear from some of our other programs. It's going to be, it's going to start to converge. Now, the thing that I think, the thing that's going to change everything that we don't even really talk about is, is the smart speaker. I think that's the actual revolution. Like you're looking at podcasts, we're all looking at podcasts and it's like looking at a star and you don't even know if that thing's alive anymore, right? That thing might've burned out because we're seeing it so long after the, the impression that we have of it. Podcast is like that. What you're looking at at this moment is already going to be so different in two or three years 
that it's very much a moving target. Now, what's really going to mess things up for everybody in a good way, mostly, is the fact that you can have a speaker listening back to you. I mean, that's insane if you think about that. I mean, there's like fundamental shifts that even happen on a tactical level for advertisers where you don't have to remember a vanity URL. Are you kidding me? We're still doing that. But very soon, it's going to be like, yes, I'm interested. And now you've got the discount on your phone. So that's like one little sliver of what's going to happen. But think about how if I'm listening to your podcast and I can go next subject, next subject, next subject, and you list off all the things that we're going to talk about and I can then navigate audio the way that I can navigate text, that's going to be completely... The way you can bounce around an audio book, right? You can bounce around chapters, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's going to get organized what if I don't like the voice that I'm listening to? What if, you know, what if my favorite podcast, I love the content, but I can't stand the way the person talks and I want them to be British or I want them to be Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you know, like, what if I want to choose my own adventure? Like, what if this, I want me to be Snoop Dogg? Correct. Yes, exactly. Here And, and there you go. Um, but like, I really do think that things are going to shift in ways we can't even imagine. Ways we can't even imagine. Um, the other so, thing I wonder, I want to ask you about, I just based on sort of, uh, things that are circling around me, I get this real sense that, um, right now podcasting is a solo, uh, sort of solitary endeavor, right. like reading a book. Um, and I th- get this feeling there's a lot of heat around building communities and a social component and sharing of episodes, you know, right now that all that's very hard. But, you know, being able to talk about episodes, uh, listeners being able to take cuts, cuts and clips and share those out. And so it, it almost feels like there's this merging of content and community that wants to happen around podcast and certain podcast topics and stuff. And I see all this swizzling around, but I'm curious if you see the same thing or what you see in this area. Yeah, I think it has to. I mean, I think you can look at the internet and get a pretty good proxy of what's going to have to happen. If you just imagine that text is, is words, spoken word. And you think about the organizing of information. And it was like, before there was Google, before there was Facebook, you know, what was there? And it was like, okay, well, Hey, look, I can send an email to somebody. I can now send a letter over the computer. Well, like, we're still very, very early in this. And, and audio is generally pretty slow on the uptake in terms of technological advancements. I mean, like literally we had somebody on the moon 50 years ago and I still have to write down a promo code. Like, this is crazy. Um, it'll get there. It just takes a few decades behind, you know, behind everything. Like, seriously. Right? I love that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, so, so it's like, it'll, it'll happen. But I think whatever you're doing with your eyes and with your fingers right now on your computer, imagine that that's now able to happen with sound. And so that's how I think about that. And so, yes, I do think that more social, like you're going to be able to have conversations with people like immediately imagine that you can have anybody at your house talking to you on speakerphone, except you met them because they were able to match up the conversations that you have with other conversations that they captured. And they go, I found your new best friend, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and now all of a sudden, anytime you're alone, let me go online. I'm talking to somebody, you know, like it's, it's completely different. Yes. 
Yes, this whole conversational element. And I just also wanted to underscore, I think you're right about the smart speaker. And I'm, I looked for it quickly as you were talking, but I didn't want to yeah, yeah. distract it. So I stopped. But I think it's Edison Research, um, their most recent uh, update on, on sort of podcast um, data and research. And the thing that blew me away, if I'm remembering right, and maybe you'll correct me, but I, if I'm not mistaken, more people listen to podcasts at home than commuting or elsewhere. And I remember hmm. thinking, seeing that thinking, you know, everybody assumes that people are listening to podcasts while they're commuting or they're at the gym or they're going for a walk or whatever, which of course they do. But according to Edison, if I'm remembering it right, Dan, more people yeah. still listen at home. And so if that's the case, this home speaker thing could be massive. Yeah, I, that's a tough one. I, I feel like if you just think about it, I haven't seen that report or I don't remember that stat. And so I don't want to say it's untrue or true, but like, just think about it. If you're stationary and you're really zoned in, right? Why are you not going to be watching something? Why are you going to do audio alone and not video? Right? I mean, you can do... I don't, know. I, I don't know if I'm how typical I am, but I think most of us do audio when we're doing some other thing. Agreed. Right? Totally so agreed. I'm yeah. vacuuming. Right. Not that I vacuum that much. Right, but, right, you know, right. Sure. I, I certainly do the dishwasher, right? And shit yes. like that and garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're doing something, like you can't read, you can't surf the web because you can't multitask in that sense, but you can certainly undo the dishwasher. Correct. I 100% agree. And so I, so I would question that research if I saw it. Um, the, the fundamental, and this is what makes attribution so hard, whether you're radio or podcast is like, you're trying to get people to do something right after TV. You can do that because they're sitting down. They're like, okay, they probably have their laptop open, or at least they have their phone on them. So they can take action in real time. You can't do that. Um, if you're, if you're doing audio, if you have the option of watching something, you're probably going to watch. And that's why if you take a podcast, it's also a video, you know, that you can also watch the video. You'll see the numbers are very different. More people are doing audio than video because they don't have that presence um, while they're doing it. So I think the idea that you can take it with you is very interesting and very good. And I think the features are going to change. Now, what I wonder is when autonomous driving is real, like when that's actually happening, what does that do to the audio space? How much does that you take? What happens to radio, whatever we call it, streaming, but live feeds of audio continuously pumping into a speaker, how, why would you do that in the same way if you don't have to keep your eyes on the road? Um, so I think you're always going to be exercising or cleaning or doing something. And that's when audio is your companion. That's your friend that comes with you um, in the same way that you can talk on the phone while you're doing things. But it's um, so, so it's going to change in many interesting ways, but I, I still believe that audio is, is a multitaskers uh, tool. In other words, People don't sit down on the couch and listen to a lot of an episode of Mark Marin. No, no, we'd be too close to our own feelings, and we don't want that. We need <laughs> maximum distraction. Come on, otherwise <laughs> I'm just like meditating. A- yeah, otherwise I've got my meditation app open, and I'm <laughs> trying to stay focused and present in mind. I, uh, my wife and I have eight hens, chickens, and uh, today was the day to clean out the coop. And so I did two hours this morning of uh, scooping up 
old shit and reswizzling and putting in the new shit and all that. And that's when you need a podcast. <laughs> so is this for, is it, is it, is this for food at some point or is this for pets? Is this for kids? They're pets. Okay. Yeah. All right. They're, they're, you know, they're like, they're, they're every bit as smart and fun and loving and personality rich as a dog or a cat. Okay. And they make breakfast. What's the difference from a maintenance standpoint though? I would say they're equivalent to a cat. Okay. Less than a dog. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You have to have them in a safe environment because uh-huh. they don't really have defense against the majority of their predators. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they've got to be in a safe place. But if they're in a safe place, they're pretty self self-sufficient. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. and we, you know, they're pets, so we pick them up and we play with them and they all have names and, uh-huh. you know, you get to know their personalities and they bond with you. And it's just like a dog or a cat. It's, I, I never, I never would have occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, a friend of mine, uh, got a, um, an alpaca and a goat and, uh, is trying to just do life, but like in the suburbs, like not in a place that you would think about that. And that is, uh, that's an experience. Like he shows up and he's got like the, the goat took a bite out of his hand cause he wasn't paying attention. And you know, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how these things play out. So chickens, that's hens and chickens are, are seems like you're making a good case that there's more there than most of us probably uh, oh, way more there. And I yeah. thought I had, I had no interest. I thought they were loud and stupid and stinky. Why the fuck do we want to get these? And of course my right, wife right. thought we should get them. And so I didn't. So of course we got them. Yeah. And now I love them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> well, Dan, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap? Probably everything, but I don't even know. I still have a million questions for you. I'm, I'm hoping you'll come back. Um, yeah. Maybe you can tell me when steal you on a somewhat regular basis because the industry's changing so much and there's still a handful of things that I, I would love to chat about and keep updated on. Yeah, no, for sure. This is uh, you go, you go interesting places on this uh, program and I like it. Thank you. Uh, That's yeah. a lot coming from you. No, you, uh, I, anyone that I can go to outer space with is, uh, <laughs> it, it was fun to be with. So thank you for having me on. I'd love to come back. My pleasure, Dan. I can't wait to have you back. Thank you, brother. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. There he is, the incredible Dan Granger. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, a 225,000 square foot baking facility outside of the Indianapolis International Airport might not be the first place that you would think of for a company doing incredibly innovative things. And in this case, incredibly innovative things in the bakery category. Meet NetSuite customer Kraft Mark Bakery. They are a B2B supplier of frozen bakery goods. They launched the business in 2013 to make their mark in the competitive baking industry. And Craftmark needed to ensure efficient operations and that they could remain agile to reinvent traditional business processes in their uh, industry. And that's why Craftmark selected NetSuite over SAP and Microsoft. Because NetSuite had rapid implementation times, the robust customization and manufacturing capabilities they needed, and a very low TCO. Since going live in November 2014, Craftmark has run their business on NetSuite, and they focused on things like demand planning, procurement, real-time variance analysis, customized reporting, and mobile warehouse management. That's, those kinds of capabilities are what makes NetSuite the number one platform for growth companies, and they're offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. 
Visit netsuite.com slash different right now to get your growth review set up. That's netsuite.com slash different. Because if you want to grow your business, you got to know your numbers. And that's what happens when you partner with NetSuite. All right. We would like to thank the good folks at Oxford Road, Dan's firm. Check them out at OxfordRoad.com. Um, the instant classic from HarperCollins, Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. It's my first book. Why not pick up a couple hundred copies wherever you buy legendary books? <laughs> the amazing folks at GrowWire.com. This is the place where growth-oriented entrepreneurs and entre- entrepreneurial people are going today on the internet. Check out GrowWire.com. Splunk, the leader in big data. Data has never mattered more than it does right now. And Splunk brings data to every question, every decision, and most importantly, every action. Check out splunk.com. Now, do you, like me, live in Santa Cruz? Is it time to take your fitness to the next level and train like it matters? Check out my friends at ParadigmSport.com. That's ParadigmSport.com. And are you looking to turbocharge your career? Maybe you're a young person looking to get started, or maybe you're somebody looking to um, make a big change in your career. Check out my uh, friends at Crash.co slash different. And while you're there, you can learn how to pick up a copy of this new amazing handbook called Crash Your Career. That's crash.co slash different. I also want to tell you about a marketing podcast I love, hosted by my buddy Ian Faison. Check out the Marketing Trends Podcast wherever you get legendary podcasts. And of course, the amazing folks at onelifefullylive.org, helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. The number one lifefullylive.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this podcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. We are produced by the nicest man in podcasting, Jamie J, and his partner, the incredible Sarah Knox. Our editor is the famous Mike D, show notes by Diane Gervasio, analytics by Roan Nostros, web development by Sherwin Amel, and marketing support from Rihanna Adelon. Now, remember to teach podcasting. Don't be lean. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to the tragically hip. Stay frosty. And remember the sage words of Vidal Sassoon, who said, the only place success become the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Elizabeth Holmes, founder of Theranos. Sorry, Lizzie. We just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Uh, Till we're together again, stay legendary. And of course, follow your difference.